Good morning. It's great to see you. So this morning's scripture verse is from 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Thank you, Angela. So uh, my wife, several weeks back, uh, well, it was longer than that, was having some neck and shoulder pain. Uh, pretty chronic, pretty severe neck and shoulder pain. And Leani recommended to her this little contraption, this little, uh, little tool that has these little prongs on it, these little, uh, these little, little uh, I don't even know, little claws, you might say, on them, and, and, it's, and you use it to rub the shoulders and the, the neck and everything, and it's called the fascia blaster, okay? And, and this thing, like, we, we rubbed her shoulders and rubbed her neck, and it was unbelievable, the relief that it brought to her. We were so excited, so incredibly thankful uh, about it that we're telling everybody about it. Uh, in fact, we even, we even made a video. We were so excited we made a video advertising the fascia blaster. Okay, are we ready? Can we pull this up? My wife was plagued with chronic pain. Every morning when she could get up, it was just a chore to make it out of the bed and to get around during the day. Thank you, fascia blaster. Thank you, fascia blaster. You gave me my mommy back. Thank you, fascia blaster. Thank you, fascia blaster. Can you say, thank you, Fashion Blaster? Thank you, Fashion Blaster! Today we're continuing in our series called Go. 
And we started this series last week. Last week marked the seven weeks after Easter. And seven weeks after the first Easter, uh, seven weeks after when Jesus died and rose from the grave, seven weeks after that Easter, uh, the Spirit of God came upon the early Christians. It was the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit came upon them. And Jesus had told them that when the Spirit came upon them, that it would come upon them in order to send them out. That the Spirit would come upon them to send them out as his witnesses in this world as to what God had revealed to the world in and through Jesus and especially in and through his death and resurrection. So, so it was a calling for them to go out on mission, to go out and, and do evangelism, to go out and share the love of God as revealed in Jesus uh, with, with the world and with their community. And so in celebration of that last week, we're, we kicked off this series called Go. And it's a calling for us. It's a reminder of that calling that we are all called to be missionaries. We are all called to go out on mission. We are all called to go out into our communities and, and to seek to, to lead people into the presence of God, to, to tell them about Jesus, to, to show them the love of Jesus, to be on mission, to do evangelism, all, um, all of this sort of thing. And, and, and so that's what these three weeks we're going to be looking at is this calling to go out and go. And, and one of the things that emerges actually in this passage, really right at the end, um, is, that, is that our passion for evangelism or our passion to go on mission to people um, confirms the genuineness of our faith. It's one of the things that confirms the genuineness of our faith. That in other words, if we don't, if we don't really have this even desire to share the love of God with others who don't know him, it becomes a question of, okay, is our faith really genuine in the first place? And I think this emerges in the last, really the last part of this, of this section that was read today. Essentially, Paul goes on talking about how he's been called out as a missionary. He's a, a missionary to the Jews, to the Gentiles. He's going out, doing evangelism, doing all of this. And then he uses this metaphor, this, this illustration to describe this. And he uses this illustration of a runner running a race uh, and, and trying to win the prize, right? Trying to win the prize. And he talks about how he wants to run the prize and not be disqualified from the prize. And again, the whole context here is him talking about going out on mission, doing evangelism, and he's comparing it to this idea of running a race. Now, I, I think we need to be careful. We, we can't press this analogy too far. We got to be careful when Paul uses analogy like this, not to press it too far. Paul is actually, I mean, the reason he's using this analogy of a runner running a race is because in Corinth and in the Roman Empire at that time, these kinds of games were incredibly popular. Right? So, so he's just picking this illustration because they were familiar with these kinds of games. It would be similar to me using a football illustration, right? because that's a very popular sport in our day and age. And when I use a football illustration, I hope, I hope you don't press it too far. I hope you don't think that... that yeah, well, I mean, for example, I, you know, I don't really think that Tom Brady is like Jesus, even if an illustration might come here or that way. I mean, if you press it too far, you, you might come to some kind of bizarre and strange conclusions. And I would say the same thing is true here. You see, if you just read this analogy by itself, you might come to the conclusion that Paul is saying you've got to earn God's favor. 
You've got to earn it, right? I've got to run. I've got to win the prize. And I, I, I don't think, I don't think, I mean, if this is all we had from Paul, we might come to that conclusion. But the reality is everything else in his ministry is, is really counteracting that mentality. That we're trying to win God's favor. We're trying to earn God's salvation, trying to earn God's blessing or something like that. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. But what he is, I think, kind of getting at is this idea that, look, if, if you... If you don't long for people to come to know the love of Christ, it, it, it questions the genuineness of your faith in the first place. I mean, do, do you really even know, are you really even that into God? If you don't have this longing, I'll give you an, an illustration. Uh, I dated a girl in college, and uh, after a while, she broke up with me, okay? Uh, so I was, you know, I was running the race, and I was disqualified from the race. Uh, and, and so she, she broke up with me. And she said to me, the reason why she broke up with me, she goes, Kevin, I don't think you're really that into me. And here's the reality. She was right. I wasn't. I mean, I just wasn't. And so, so she broke up with me. But really the issue was I wasn't that into her. And I think that, in a sense, is what Paul's getting at here. Like, if we're... If we're just not really, if, if we don't have this passion for other people to come to know God and come to know Jesus, you kind of wonder how, how, how genuine is our faith in the first place? In other words, the more that we really come to know the love of God, the more that we come to know Jesus, we should at least have as much passion about telling people about Jesus as my family was about telling people about fascia blaster. We should at least be as excited about telling people, wanting or desiring to tell people about Jesus. Now, as we're going to see, it's a whole lot more complicated than just telling them about Fascia Blaster. But we're talking about the desire here. We should at least have as much desire as we had to tell people about Fascia Blaster. So, so that, that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at these three weeks of this idea of going. Going out on mission, going out, doing evangelism, sharing with, uh, with people. And, and we're doing it by looking at it in three different uh, three different ways or three different areas, you might say. And last week, we looked at going on mission in the workplace. What does it look like to go on mission uh, in the workplace? And, and basically, what we discovered, the passage that we looked at, is that really the, the very heart of evangelism in the workplace is that we just need to be dream workers, we need to be the dream workers. We need to be the, dream, the boss everybody dreams about having, the employee that everybody, every boss dreams of having, the coworker that everybody dreams of having, that, that we, we need to be people who we, we work hard, we're respectful. We talked about this, respectful of our boss, even if our boss is a jerk. I mean, we're just, we're respectful, we're, we're good, we're the dream worker. Now, what we saw, however, is that, of course, that end of itself won't necessarily set us apart. Because there are plenty of people, we all know there are plenty of people in our world who don't profess to be, have faith in Christ, who are great workers, dream workers, respectful of their boss, team players, all of this. And so just, just being a dream worker itself isn't necessarily going to set us apart. But what we saw is that I believe what really can set us apart is that most people in our world, and the truth is this is probably true of most of us too, as well to a certain degree. Uh, most people in this world, when they are dream workers, they're motivated by fear and pride. 
That's what motivates most people. And so you'll be a great worker, but what's motivating is, you, is your fear and your pride. And, and for Christians, when the gospel comes to work in you, it drives out that fear. It drives out that pride. It gives an entirely different motivational structure for why you're a dream worker. And here's what we, we discovered is that you may not do anything differently, but everything that you do will smell different. Everything you, that you can smell it. You can smell pride. Am I right about this? I mean, even when people don't say arrogant things, you can still kind of smell it. You can smell fear. You can tell when people are, they, they, they're working hard because they just don't want to lose their house. And they're afraid of it. I mean, you can just smell it. But, but when somebody is, is motivated by the joy and thanksgiving of the gospel, you can smell it. So anyway, we looked at that. That was last week. I gave you the whole sermon in a nutshell just now. That was last week in the workplace. Today, we're going to look at, okay, how do we do evangelism mission in our neighborhood? And when I say neighborhood, that, that includes your workplace. Uh, but it, more broadly, it's just whatever spheres of influence you happen to have. You go to the grocery store, you have a particular coffee shop that you routinely frequent, you frequent routinely, same thing. Anyway, you know, you have a coffee shop that you, you go to, uh, your, your, your actual neighbors, your neighbors, the people in your community. And that's what we're going to look at is, is how, do we, how do we go about reaching out to these people and, and sharing the love of God with them? And... <clears throat> Actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a formula. I'm going to give you a formula. Did you know there is a formula for doing evangelism and mission? It's that simple. There's a formula to this. You guys ready for this? Okay, here's the, here's the formula. <clears throat> we can pull this, uh, pull this slide up here, Ruben. Here we go. H pl- HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. Pretty simple, huh? HP plus CP plus CC equals maximum impact. There's a formula to this. Now, what we're going to see is that what this formula shows us is that it's not formulaic. That, that doing mission, doing evangelism in your neighborhood, is, it's not formulaic. And that's what this formula is going to show us. So let me just unpack this here for you. This formula is high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. I, I actually got this, this uh, formula from Bill Hybels, his book, Contagious Christian. What happened was I was going through this passage and I came up with these three points. And then as I looked at these three points, I realized this is exactly the same thing that he says in this book. I wonder if he actually read this. So anyway, we're going to see these exact things sort of emerging from this text. So first of all, high potency. What we're getting at here is that Christians, we need to be known for having a level of love that is just much more potent than what most people are used to. We need to be known for loving our neighbors and loving people with a potency that is, is just much more potent than what people are, are used to experiencing. Uh, here, I'll get a little bit controversial here. Uh, we need to have a love that is more potent than either of the visions of love that are offered to us from the political right or the political left. We need a potency of love that is just more potent then either is offered to us from the political right or the political 
left. You see, both the political right and political left, they offer visions for, for human flourishing and for what it means to love and all of this. And I would say that, that they are watered down and they are truncated versions of love in comparison to what Jesus actually calls us to. And we need to be known for a love that is just more potent than what you get coming from either the right or from the left. Uh, we, we need to be a people who show mercy when it is inconvenient. You see, I think we live in a, in a world that, well, and we're all about being merciful. Yeah, we want to help people. We want to be merciful as long as it's convenient. So we need to be a people who show mercy even when it's inconvenient. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to get even more controversial. Here we go. Ready? My hope is to offend everybody in the room. Here we go. Right. We need to be a people who show mercy to the unborn. We need to be a people who show mercy to the unborn. And we need to be a people who show mercy to immigrants and refugees and racial minorities. We need, to, we need to be a people who show mercy, whether it's convenient or not. We need to show mercy even if there's danger involved. We need to have a, a, a level of love that is just much more potent than is offered from the right or the left. We need to be a, a people who honor and respect our law enforcement, who honor and respect the, the men and women who risk their lives and even give their lives to defend our country. I've had the privilege, I think, four out of the last five years to go and pray at our Memorial Day service here in Rivervale. Four out of five. The other time, Steve Pikett did it. So the last five years, our church has been invited to do the prayer for the Memorial Day service. We need to show honor and respect uh, and stand in solidarity with those who risk their lives and give their lives for our country. We need to love them. And, 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 and we need to be a people who, who recognize racial injustice in our country and, and, and recognize that, that we need to love and stand up for racial inequality, that there's still much racial inequality and, and there is still sexism and there's all kinds of, of cultural and social economic inequality in our, in our world and in our country. And we need to stand in solidarity with them and fight for them. And you see, the problem is that in our country, in our political world, we, it's like we, these different visions of love are played off against one. It's like we have to somehow choose one or the other, and, and, and the gospel is just so much more potent than either of these visions. Friends, we need to remove our political spectacles, and we need to put on the, the spectacles of the gospel. You see, I think, I think that most Americans, even Christians, we have on a set of glasses. They're either, they're either shaded blue or they're shaded red. And, and we, we've been wearing them for so long, we don't even realize we're wearing them. And so we don't realize, if you're, if you're wearing one shade of, of glasses, you don't realize the injustice that is being screened out through your lens. And if you're wearing the other colored glasses, you don't see the injustice that is being screened out through your colored lens. And so friends, we gotta, we, I think Christians, we got to pull off our political lenses and we need to rethink and put the, the lens of the gospel back on. 
because it's just much more potent. And, and here, I'm, I'm going to give a plug, and this is a little bit dangerous because it's not perfect. This is not perfect. But the Gospel Coalition is an organization that I've come to respect. Well, they don't get everything right. Not everything's perfect, believe me. But you go to their website, and, and they, what they do is the people who contribute I really believe our people that in general are really trying to think this through the lens of the gospel. They're not just trying to see this through whatever their preconceived political lenses are. And, and they will address a wide range of, of issues. And honestly, if you read through random articles there, sometimes you're like, well, where, you know, everybody's always trying to figure out. Are these, you know, are you conservative? Are you liberal? And, and I believe that if you look at the Gospel Coalition and, and listen to how they approach most of these issues, they're really not, they're trying to see it through the lens of the gospel. They're not perfect. It's not perfect, but I would, I would offer that to you as something to consider because honestly, some of us, we, some of the sources that we go to, even the, quote, Christian sources, I'm afraid that in, in, in my, from my perspective, a number of even Christian sources are still just simply too tainted by a particular political ideology that I think has sort of infiltrated it. So we, we've got to get back to the gospel. We've got to get back to this, this highly potent love and you see, I think that as Christians, if, if we begin to really love with this level of potency, I, I believe that, that people in our society, I, I, I think they will be a little bit less antagonistic towards our evangelistic efforts. Because isn't it true? I mean, the reality is in our culture, there is a lot of antagonism towards this idea of being evangelistic. I mean, you know, I mean, you're nervous about this. I mean, if you're here and you're visiting and you're not, you're not a Christian, you're like, oh boy, I don't want, this is exactly what I don't like about Christianity. These people are always trying to evangelize. And so there's an incredible amount of antagonism towards this whole idea of evangelism. And, 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 I, and you know, and, and here's the thing. I mean, because what most people believe is that they have this kind of sense that, look, you know, it's inappropriate to try to convert somebody to your religion. Yeah, that's inappropriate, right? We should just, you know, let, you know, show respect and tolerance for what everybody believes. Just let everybody believe what they want to believe. It's not appropriate to try to convert people. Okay, now, look, I, I could go this route, and I could point out the fact that when somebody does that, they're actually just trying to convert you to their religion. So when somebody says you shouldn't try to convert somebody to your religion, what they're actually doing is trying to convert you to a religion. They're trying to convert you to a religion that says you shouldn't try to convert people to religion. I mean, that's really what's going on. They say, yo, you shouldn't try to convert people. Because what underlies that whole idea that we shouldn't try to convert people to religion is that really what undergirds that is a religion that says, you know, all of these different religions are basically the same. And they're all different paths that lead to God. And so, but you've got to realize that that is a religion. As Tim Keller puts it, inclusivism is closet exclusivism. Inclusivism is closet exclusivism. That inclusivism masquerades as this thing that's really inclusive, but it's actually just as exclusive as the exclusive religions it's claiming to, to say, you know, are, are bad. So anyway, we, we could go that route, and we could talk about how that, that it's being just... So, you know, in other words, if, if I'm talking with somebody in the barbershop, I'm, tell, I'm trying to tell them about Jesus, and he's like, no, no, you shouldn't try to convert me. You should try to convert me to your religion. And I go, oh, you're right. I shouldn't do that. Guess what happened? I just got converted. So we could go that route, and we could talk about that. But, but here's what I would honestly say. If Christians love people with the kind of potency that we see 
coming from Jesus, I'm not sure it would be as much of an issue anyways. I'm just not sure that we would even need to go with that line of reasoning that I just gave you. Not as often. I mean, I think people will still be antagonistic, but I think people would be more open to it if they really see this highly potent love that we find in the Gospels that transcends the watered-down versions of love that we get coming from the political left and the political right. If, we, if they saw a love that was not just convenient... That's why high potency is the first ingredient. What's a way of talking about just summing up what this kind of love looks like? It's the kind of love that comes from a volunteer slave. A volunteer slave. Because you see, that's what Paul compares himself to. He says, though I am free... And belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. Roman Empire, a quarter of the population in the Roman Empire this time were slaves. Culture very accustomed to slavery. Paul was not a slave, he was a Roman citizen. So he's saying, I'm not, I'm not a slave, but I make myself a slave. Think about that. I make myself a slave to everyone. You know, what, what does a slave do? A slave does whatever their master tells them to do. Whatever their master tells them to do. And what, what he's saying here is, I will do anything. I will do anything in order to help bring the people in my community to come to know Jesus. I'll do anything. I, I'm a slave. I, every, I give everything up. All just so that they can come to know the love of God. I'll do anything. Can you imagine if, if we have that kind of perspective? I'll do anything, right? Oh, okay, they, they need help remodeling their basement. I'm there. Uh, they're struggling financially. I got it. I'll sell my car. Give them the money. Hey, it's not, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. What am I going to do? I'm a slave. I'm a volunteer slave. Can you imagine if, if we had that kind of love for our neighbors, this highly potent love? I don't think they're going to be as concerned about evangelism. It's kind of highly potent love that, that is willing to love those towards whom we don't normally gravitate. Right? I mean, I mean, a slave, you think about it, a slave doesn't get to choose their master. A slave just, well, you, you got bought by that guy, that's who you're going to serve. A slave doesn't get to choose their master. But you see, we, we have a tendency to, we love to love people that we gravitate towards, that we like, like being around. What if our love for people wasn't based on whether or not we gravitated towards them or not? This highly potent love of a slave. It's the first ingredient. And this actually leads to the second point. Close proximity. What if, rather than simply loving the people that we gravitate towards, what if we simply loved the people that were around us? What if we simply sought to love the people with whom we were in close proximity to? What if, we, what if we were intentional about being in close proximity to people? This is one that we just kind of even got to start there. In our culture, we, we live in a world where we live in a very isolated world. And we've talked about this before, right? You, you get up in the morning, you get in your car that's parked in your garage, and you, you go down the highway, you go park in a parking garage, you go to your office. You know, you, you never, I mean, we, we live in a world where uh, we have 
fenced-in backyards. Nobody sits on the front porch anymore. You know, I uh, actually, I'll be honest with you, there were, earlier on since we've been here, there have been those times I'm like, it'd be nice if we had a fenced-in backyard. Um, but I've come to realize, you know what, this is actually really good. We, we, Laura and I, we, most of the time we go out on the front lawn. Nobody does this. You want, nobody's on the front lawn. It's kind of, and people, you can tell, they're walking by like, this is weird, what are they doing in the front? Shouldn't they be in the back where most people are? But it's sort of refreshing. I can tell people are refreshed by this. Somebody walks by, walking their dog, a neighbor comes by. I mean, honestly, to try this. Try just going on your front lawn for once. Close proximity. It's all about, we've got to be intentional about trying to find ways to actually be in people, in, in people's presence. So, uh, high potency, close proximity, and then finally, clear communication. Clear communication. Now, what's interesting about this passage is it really, you're like, where do you get clear communication out of this, Kevin? It, it really doesn't hardly say anything about him saying anything, you know, proclaiming the gospel or anything like that. Well, here's, here's why clear communication emerges from this, and here's why. Because the number one thing we need to be able to do we need to do before we can communicate clearly is understand where people are coming from. We have to under, we think clear communication means, okay, I've got to, I've got to get it. I've got to, you know, get down my spiel, get down my stick. This is the gospel. Now I can go knock on their door, open the door and then read it to them. Right. I mean, clear communication. No, no, no. Clear communication begins with simply understanding the people that we're, we're interacting with, that we're, that we're talking with. It's this, and this is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about, he's talking about, to the Jews, I became a Jew. What he's saying is, I, I, you know, I sought. Well, he was Jewish, right? But, but he, I'm like, he embodied. He's saying, I wanted to embody their cultural traditions. I wanted to become a part of it. I wanted to understand it. To the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile. I want to, I want to be a part of their community and their culture and understand the way they do life and the way that they, they think. Just so that I can, just, just to understand them. Did you know, honestly, I would say that you don't even know the power, the evangelistic power of empathy. The evangelistic power of empathy. In, in fact, what, what it means to become all things to all people, as, as he talks, becoming all things to all people, is, is we need to be, be people who we understand why people don't believe in Jesus. Like, it makes sense to us. Like, we get it. In other words, we study culture not to criticize it, but to understand it better. And I think most Christians, as soon as we study culture, we just immediately get critical. Just criticize, criticize, criticize. But, but what if we studied culture, studied the way people live and, and what they do and what they think to understand? And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've had moments when I've interacted with, with unbelievers where I think I've actually been able to explain to them how they're thinking better than they did. And they look at me like, and you can tell there's like this sense of, you, you get me. And even that, I can tell they're closer to, to, to potentially coming to want to embrace Jesus. Just, just by the sense that you care enough to understand where I'm coming from. You understand what I'm, what I'm saying here. You know, we, we talk about in, in polite culture, you don't talk about religion and politics, right? Don't bring up religion or politics in around the dinner table. And I, what's the reason for that? Because normally you bring up religion and it just gets really contentious because 
you just start arguing and, and we start defending our faith and there and what if we got into conversations with them about religion and we're like, oh yeah, I understand. I can see why you see it that way. So you're saying, yeah, I, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. I got a different perspective on that, but I, I understand where you're coming from there. Right? What if, what if uh, you get into a conversation about what the Bible teaches about sex and sexuality? And there's a tendency now to just kind of, oh, this is what the Bible says, right? What if we're like, no, I, I get, I see why you would have a different view on that. I understand that. Just the power of saying, I understand where you're coming from. To, to the Jews, I became a, a, a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. I'm just seeking to understand where you're coming from. And then the better I understand you, you see, the better I can begin to communicate. Communicate it in language. I can speak your language. I can apply it in a way that really meets where you are. Of course, that's what's, you know, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? Because we actually see him doing this here. I just said he used the illustration of running a race. Well, why did he use that? Because he knew that's what they were thinking about. He understood them. He understood their culture. And so everything, this is why you find the gospel uh, in the Bible is communicated a bunch of different ways. And I think a lot of us, we get confused by it. We think that's kind of frustrating. Why? It's a little bit different here and a little bit different there. Why is it being communicated differently in different parts of the Bible? Because they're contextualizing it to different situations, people who think differently and have different perspective, seeking to understand where they're coming from. That's the first part of, of clear communication. So high potency, close proximity, and clear communication equals maximum impact. Now, why should we do this? Why should we do this? What should motivate us to do this? Because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. You see, throughout this passage, what Paul is doing here, he's, he's simply doing what Jesus did for him. He's becoming all things to all people. He's, he's incarnating himself within their culture. To the Jews, I became a Jew. You see, that's what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. He became a human being. He became one of us. He, he entered into our suffering so that he could understand our suffering, that, that we, we come to a God who understands because he's been in it with us. To the sufferer, I became a sufferer. To the betrayed, I became betrayed. To the afflicted, I became afflicted. I mean, he, he came in to understand us. And Paul said, I'm just doing what Jesus did for me. He's saying, I, I become a slave. Jesus became a slave. Jesus said, I, I, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Friends, the heart of the gospel is this is exactly what Jesus did for us. That's why we do it for others. Or to put it differently, nothing more clearly communicates the high potency of God's love for us and his desire to be in close proximity to us than the cross. Nothing more clearly communicates the highly potent love that God has for us and his desire to be in close proximity like the cross. 
Nothing more clearly communicates the high potency of God's love. The, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus gave his life for us. You know, what are we willing to do for our neighbor? Well, what are we willing to do? How far is our mercy willing to go? Jesus was willing to give his very life for us. Nothing more clearly communicates the close proximity that God desires to be in relationship with us like the cross, because what is the cross all about? The cross is about how Jesus died to forgive us of our sins so that we could be reconciled with God, that we can be with him in fellowship, in relationship with him, right? That that God loves us even though we have failed to love him. God loves us even though we failed to be evangelistic. God says, I forgive you. I love you. Nothing more clearly communicates the high potency of God's love, his desire to be in close proximity with us than the cross. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you for your abundant grace in our lives. God, you have given us so much. God, may we be drawn back to that. God, this morning, I don't know where each person is. Maybe there are those here who are filled with worry and anxiety this morning. And they have challenges in life, (coughs) problems at work, problems at home, and they're afraid. God, I pray that this morning they would come to see the power of your love, the depths of your love that you have come you have come for them, that you conquered death, and that there is no challenge, no problem that they're facing that you cannot see them through. God, I pray that they might come to you and see that you're just waiting for them, longing for them to turn to you in trust. God, maybe there are those here today who feel distant from you because they see that their life is off course. They see that <coughs> they have not loved uh, their neighbor the way you have called them to. God, I pray that they would see your grace. You died to forgive them of that. They can have a new start today. They can have a new start being welcomed into your presence. God, I pray that the truth of the gospel would just ignite our hearts and would just drive us out on mission to share with people what God has done for us and desires to do for them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now come to our time of response.